0: Uh, So happy to see so many of you here this morning. Happy to see some uh, familiar faces and unfamiliar faces as well. You're very, very welcome today. My name's Sam, um, and I'm one of the leaders here at LBC. Although I do have to say before I speak today, I know I talk a lot at the front, and I know I'm quite a confident character, but whenever it comes to actually preaching, honestly, I feel like... I've got a dishwasher in my tummy this morning, so um, I'm really, really, uh, really sorry if I come across nervous at all. I've also just been on a three-day residential with year six, so um, <laughs> my, <laughs> my voice sounded a little bit like a teenage boy yesterday, kind of up and down all over the place, so if that happens, just roll with it, okay, let's pretend it was intended, um, but it's so nice to be here today. I also move around a lot, I'm sorry if you get seasick. Um, let me just pray before we begin. Heavenly Father I just thank you that I'm stood here only by your grace and it's only by your grace that I am where I am today in my life and that it's through your grace God that we're all brought together this morning and I just pray God now as I share what I believe you've given me to share that whatever is of you would really pierce into people's hearts and sit there and anything that's just of me or is nonsense that it would just waft away Amen. Amen. I think that's really important to recognize, you know, when you go to church and people are talking, you do, you know, you've got to trust that that person has really sought God and really um, jumped into scripture and is really, you know, trying to seek God's heart. But there is always a slice of that person in it as well. So you do need to just take anything that's said, just with a pinch of salt, take it away, pray about it and test it. Okay, so I'm not stood here today thinking that I am the authority on this subject. Quite the opposite. In fact, last time I preached here, I kind of had like three weeks worth of um, therapy for myself as I realized that message was entirely aimed at me and challenging me and provoking me. And I'm not sure it impacted anybody else, but it was a real kind of self-reflection on something I needed to work on. So that's exactly how I'm approaching today, believing that God is speaking to me as he's hopefully speaking to all of us. So last week, Jonathan was here and he started diving into Luke chapter 4, which is just one of those really rich Chapters of scripture, and he talks about the part where Jesus goes into the synagogue and he unrolls the scrolls and he shares those very, very famous words from Isaiah. Let's see if we've got them here. Where Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Like these are revolutionary words, absolutely revolutionary. He stood there saying, I am the fulfillment of what you've been waiting for. I'm the fulfillment of all that has been promised. And then that statement, that manifesto that he puts forward about bringing freedom, about bringing sight, about unlocking oppression. This is Jesus in a nutshell saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm here to do. And then the part of scripture that we're going to look at today, he immediately goes from that place, and he doesn't just say it from the pulpit, or whatever you would call it in a synagogue, and he gets out there and he starts showing people how to do it. So he's not just a man of words, he's a man of action. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today as we dig a bit deeper. But just before we look at the scripture, I want us to just have a little look at this. There's an amazing resource out there, it's called um, The Christ We Share, and it was put together probably about 10, 15 years ago now. I used to use it quite a lot in youth work where it's a gathering of images, photographs, pieces of art, reflections on Jesus from all across the world from different cultures. So I've selected just a few of them up there. Some of the others that I haven't chosen um, I, I either couldn't find or some of them are quite uncomfortable But the purpose of this resource is to highlight that the way that we view Jesus is very much dependent on the culture in which we find ourselves. Perhaps also the phase of life that we're at. Perhaps it's in response to the kind of week we've been having. Sometimes when we approach Jesus, how we feel about him or how we view him is very much shaped by the world in which we find ourselves. So just have a quick look at those images I've selected there and then find somebody nearby and would you just tell them which one stands out to you and why? So they are all so different, aren't they? I just wonder, maybe one or two people want to tell us. Is there anybody who wants to say which one stood out to you? I tried to remove language of which was your favourite or whatever, but what's your honest reflection? Yeah, really interesting. I mean, top left because of the Zeffirelli film. But interesting enough, George said, like, the black one. And we were saying Jesus is so often portrayed in films and things as white, which he almost certainly wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and often with blonde hair as well, lovely kind of Pantene Pro-V, beautiful golden locks <laughs> flowing down. Um, I haven't put one of those up there. Is there anybody else, one that stood out to you? Yeah, I love that. Bottom left, because it looks like a prayer group. Fantastic. It's a kind of a very collaborative image for you there. Yeah, go on. Cheers. Yeah, the one for me is Jesus laughing. Because you could imagine, he, you, don't, you don't read a lot of that about him in, in the Bible, but he would have, I'm sure, been an amazing bloke and really, really funny. And it's just great to see him laughing like that. Definitely. Yeah, that's one of my favourites as well. Anybody else burning with a desire to share? Yeah, yeah for me, it's number one, uh, the top left. And the main reason is the eyes. When you look up there, it's very difficult not to see the eyes. And they look like they're looking directly at you. And it's almost impossible to look away from the gaze. I haven't noticed that actually. Yeah, wherever you go, it's those eyes are kind of fixed, aren't they? Don't, no, don't be sorry. This is great. Come on. Which one do you like? I like the one with the, thorn. the thorn. crown. With the crown of thorns the one at the top. Why? Creepy. <laughs> it's creepy. <laughs> Bit creepy, absolutely. You know, and what happened to Jesus was creepy, wasn't it? It was something that was, was quite unsettling. So I think Jesus is big enough to accept all of our different interpretations of him. I think he's big enough for each culture to have visuals of him that show him depicted in their cultural style. You know, we've got up there um, a Jesus in very much a Western European style. We've got a Jesus in an Indian style in that top middle. We've got an Aborigine, uh, Aboriginal artwork on the top right there. We've got um, a Japanese interpretation of Jesus carrying the cross in the bottom right. We've got an African interpretation, I think West African in the bottom left there. And then we've got the icon, which is used kind of in the Orthodox Church, so into the East. And actually, I don't really think Jesus minds. I, I don't think that's high on his priority list or his radar. I think what matters is how people engage with him. And the thing that I love about this is that people all across the world are engaging with Jesus. So there are certain aspects that don't really matter. However, what we're going to look at today is that despite us all having our own approaches to Jesus in terms of maybe how we view him physically, there are certain core truths about him that we can't neglect and certain core truths that we cannot change and must not change. And actually when we dig into Luke 4 in a moment we are going to be looking at one core truth about him, and that's his authority, the authority of Jesus. So we're going to move into that in a second. Just to highlight as well, if you disagree with anything I say this morning, please feel free to disagree. I've only ever actually been heckled once in a church, um, and that was a big misunderstanding. So that was, some young people were doing a drama, and the person didn't realise they were doing a drama. They thought they were confessing their sins, and stood up, it all got very heated. Um, <laughs> But I teach five- and six-year-olds, so I'm used to dealing with rowdy people, so OK, so shout out if you dare. Um, but you can always give me an, an amen if you like. Okay, so let's move into the scripture. And if you've got your Bibles handy, feel free to follow along. We do have a pile of Bibles over there as well. Feel free to go grab one of those if you like. Or if, if you want a Bible, but don't want to get up, give a wave, and uh, Sam will get up and give you one. Is there anybody who wants a Bible? What is family for, eh? <laughs> That's great. Okay. I'm loving this. How engaged. Anybody else? Brilliant. Right, well, let's read. So we're in Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 31 to 44. Then he went down to Capernaum. So this is directly after he's just been in the synagogue. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. I just feel really bad for her. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. That is massive, isn't it? that is huge. So to have stood there, to have revealed himself as the son of God through scripture and then to be going out there and not just healing physical need but casting out demons which is not something that you hear talked about much in church, let's be honest. So we're going to be talking a bit about that today. So the title of this passage is that Jesus teaches with authority. Now I started preparing for this over a week ago, because I knew I had a residential, I knew I had a busy week, and so I wanted to make sure that I was really getting my head in the game. The problem with doing that and thinking so far ahead is that you fall down a wormhole. Oh my goodness, I realized I could actually write a book about all the stuff I've been looking at, and about authority, and looking into scripture, and it's really hard to make sure that a message is succinct and pulled together, so I've tried to do that. But I think if anybody wants to continue this conversation about authority and broadening that out, I think that would be really welcome, and I think I'd be well up for that conversation. So, first of all, let's just think about authority, because I think it's a really loaded term nowadays. I think we live in a generation where the word authority has so many negative connotations to it. So I just thought, well, what, what stands out when I think of authority? So, um, well, the first thing I thought about was Jackie Weaver. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. And that really well-known clip um, of, of the man rebuking Jackie Weaver, who I believe did actually have authority in that meeting. Um, but, but there was that power play live, wasn't there, of that parish council meeting which went viral. And actually it was all about authority. Who are you to come in here, Jackie Weaver, and tell us what we can and can't do? But then you've got institutional authority. You've got things like the police You've got things like the army, those institutions of state which are there and have authority over certain aspects of our national life. Schools even, you know, we give our children over to a school, don't we? And we trust that that teacher and that school and that headteacher is going to use their authority well to support our children. We then have moral authority. Actually, think about people like... Um, People like David Attenborough, who, yes, is an academic, but he also speaks into the moral compass of the world when he's talking about climate change. Think about people like Malala, those voices who speak and the world tends to listen. Academic authority, again, David Attenborough, but I've put Mary Beard there. I like Mary Beard. Um, I like, I'm a historian, uh, kind of as my um, degree, so I love a bit of history. So you've got people like her who are really giving academic authority into what they talk about. Democratic authority, so we are a democracy. We give power to the government of the day through elections. This week we've had three by-elections, haven't we? Democracy in action with some really odd results from it. And then cultural authority as well. When we, when we recognise somebody's been a cultural figure, inevitably what we're doing is we are permitting them to have authority over shaping the direction of where our music goes or our television goes or anything like that. So authority has a really broad... Um, a broad base on which to stand but the thing that we have to remember about authority is that it's a power or a right to make and enforce decisions and in the examples i have already given there authority is granted only through common consent of the principles in which those institutions function so we could we're not going to i don't imagine but we could all rise up overthrow the king Overthrow parliament and establish a new form of government in our country. We could do it. Look at France, 1789, they did that. Okay, so we could do it, we're probably not going to. But that authority is granted only through the the reality of the people saying that that can happen. And safeguards are embedded to ensure that authority does not exceed its remit and that it acts in good faith of the intended outcomes. And even though we do see governments, corrupt governments around the world and corrupt individuals around the world, if history teaches us one thing, it's that whether it happens in the short term or in the long term, eventually, when authority is abused, it will fall. Governments cannot last forever on a basis of breaking the authority that they've been given. Individuals cannot last forever abusing the authority they've been given. Eventually, things catch up with them and things will change. And that's because authority needs a source. When something has authority, it comes from a source. Governments gain their authority from the people. They are the source of the authority. Companies, businesses, they gain their authority from people who purchase their goods. If people stop purchasing their goods, they're removing the authority of those people. And so in the realm of humanity... It's granted by people into the hands of other people for a time. And in Romans, in chapter 13, um, we're actually given a little bit of guidance from Paul about how we respond to that. Because it can be all so tempting, can't it, to say, well, sorry, I disagree with your policies. You're not my government. You're not my prime minister. You're not my king. You're not my president. But actually, we are told to be really, really careful about earthly structures and authorities. We have to respect structures of authority. But of course, there is scope within that to consider when authority has been abused or when authority has been taken in a a misdirection. Actually, it is right, isn't it, for us to step up and to speak out. Now, this is one of the rabbit holes I went down, so I'm going to just pull myself back a little bit because we could go on forever and it could turn into like a sociology university lecture where we're talking about government and structures and authority and power. But I do think it's important we just touch base with human authority before we begin talking about God. And that's because this morning I want to engage more in the realm of the spiritual. And that is a place where scripture has some really, really clear truths that we need to remember and follow. Because in the realm of the spiritual, true authority is only granted by God. But we also have to accept that within that, within the spiritual realm, just like here on earth, there are goodies and there are baddies. There are people who are on the side of good and God. And there is, whether or not we choose to acknowledge it, there is a darkness to the spiritual world as well. A darkness to the spiritual world which we see in this scripture here. In Luke, we see how Jesus combines earthly and spiritual authority together through his actions. He brings them together. He alone can do that because he heals both bodies but also spirits as he casts out those demons, physical and spiritual. After he's revealed himself in the synagogue, he then shows the world, I have authority over the physical and over the spiritual too. Now that time in history that's called the Enlightenment, it actually launched a really dark period for humankind, where essentially humanity was split into two camps. On one side you've got the people who thought that knowledge and reason and science should be here, and on the other side people who thought that the realm of the spiritual and the soul and religion should be here. And we kind of moved into this phase of history where they are opposing each other, where there's almost this idea that you either can support science and scientific theory or you support the things of God. You can't be in both camps. And I think that's nonsense, personally. Because countless lives were lost over history as a result of this. Conflicts that came about completely unnecessarily And a shredding of the authority of both fields of science and religion in the process. Because the idea that they're in direct opposition, I just don't believe to be true. Now again, that's another rabbit hole we could fall down and do science versus religion. And we could really dig into that and would probably really enjoy doing that. But we're not going to stay there for today. Because the reason I mention this is because in this passage I see Jesus bringing the two together because he cares for the physical well-being of people. He wants to see healthy bodies, and he wants to see people be healed, and he wants to see society working well. But he also wants to see freedom for the captives, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual as well. When we read in Genesis that God creates man, he creates the body, but then how does that become something more than just a body? He breathes life into it. He breathes the spirit. We've got the physical and the spiritual that cannot be separated We're made in his image. And just as bodies break and hurt, so too can our spirits. And I just wonder if we ever truly give enough thought to that, to how the world of the spiritual can affect us, about how our spirits can be harmed and hurt, and how Jesus can be a part of that healing process as well. Do we truly acknowledge that we all have a spiritual journey as well as a physical one? And just like our bodies need care and attention daily, so too does our spirit. This leads us to one of the big buzzwords, holistic. Jesus is holistic. He cares about the whole person. He's got authority that bridges both worlds. And he cares about your body, but he cares about your spirit too. He cares about the entirety of your life. So the idea that science, the understanding of the world around us, and religion, the engagement with our spiritual sense in community with one another should be at odds, is in my opinion silenced by Jesus' example. It's nonsensical to think that you can choose to just be a physical or a spiritual person. You can't. You've got both those parts to you, so we have to engage them both. We've got to consider how science benefits the world around us and how we can use that Because ultimately, science is about understanding the world that God made. You are both things. And Jesus is authority over it all, over the physical and the spiritual. So my first challenge to all of us today is, do we truly accept that? Are we actually ready and aware for what it means to recognize the authority of Jesus Christ over your body, but over your spirit as well? And I'm just going to check in there on that moment. When I said, recognize the authority of Jesus Christ, I wonder if there was anyone in the room that felt a bit jarred by that authority. Ooh, authority. Linking us back to that human response to how we've seen authority misused over history. But I'm talking about authority in its truest sense. Verse 34 makes it clear that even the demons know who he is. They recognize him, and at his word, even they will do his bidding. So it's actually the demons that are calling Jesus out for who he is, often before his own followers are. They recognize him. Their spirits respond to the presence of Jesus. They are repelled by his purity. They're repelled by the goodness of God. And so they know who he is, even before the people walking with Jesus recognize it. Do we have that same truthful recognition of his authority? Do we see Jesus and call him out for who he is, the Son of God, the authority given by God? Because surely a true recognition of that authority brings with it a call to action, to put into practice that which Jesus sends us out into the world to do, to make disciples of all nations. I've got some images there just of Jesus meeting with people, healing them in the physical, but then also this really interesting interpretation, painting down here, of Jesus rebuking a demon and it coming out we don't know if that's what it looked like, but it's certainly a way of considering, isn't it, and a way of thinking about it. I want to introduce you to a guy called Rob Carpenter. Has anyone heard of him before? Anyone in education might have heard of him? No? Okay. So, Rob Carpenter is um, he's, hes one of these superheads. Down in London he's a a head of a big multi-academy trust I don't know how many schools exactly but it's quite a big trust he's very very well respected Um, and I was asked by my head teacher to go on a a training course that he was delivering about curriculum because he's started making some changes in the curriculum in his multi-academy trust in London um, which is making the learning that happens more values-based and have a more real-world context so my head teacher said Sam you've got to watch this you are going to love this this is going to tick your boxes and it's going to tick our school's boxes you need to watch it i thought great oh death by powerpoint again by some other educational official i'm really looking forward to it but you know what i ate my words he's amazing absolutely amazing And he talked about how in his schools they choose values that shape the learning that they do and then they take the learning that they do and they put it into practice there and then with the children. There isn't a sense of you're learning this so that one day you might get a degree in this field and you might go on and do a job in this area. He's saying, no, no, you can use your learning now. So in their food technology, they make food, they go out and they give it to the homeless because the food that they're making suddenly has a purpose to it. So I basically pinched some of his great ideas, as all schools do, and we've now shaped our curriculum very much in a way um, that is aligned with the heart, the heart of Rob Carpenter and what he does. Um, actually, Simon was meeting with me in my school this, this last week, and, and we were talking about some of those values words that drives what we do. But here's a really important quote that he says, and it's really, really powerful, I think. He says, We need to help children meet the world... And not be at the centre of it. So we want children to meet the needs of the world. But not be the centre of it. And that has stuck in my head ever since. And we've taken that as a foundational principle for our school's curriculum. And you might be thinking, why are you talking about this? Um, Bear with me, we are getting there. And it's because I think... I feel convicted that the recognition of Jesus' true authority in my life means I've got to place him at the centre of it. And I mean right at the centre. Not just, I'll go on a Sunday, I'll read my Bible a couple of times during the week. Jesus has got to be the centre of it. And I wonder if anyone else ever struggles with this like I do. Maybe you don't. If you don't, would you tell me? So you can teach me. Because I'd love that. But I think really... We're all placing ourselves way too much at the centre. So we want children to meet with the world but not be at the centre of it. So let's consider that for a second. Perhaps it's a controversial opinion. I suspect not. I think we could all probably get on board with that. I think that sometimes we place children on a pedestal and give them the impression that the world and its functions orbit around them. So you have your child and it's, let me serve you. I'm going to run around and give you whatever you want. No, darling, don't shout. I'll give it to you. You know, I've got four kids. I'm as guilty as anybody, okay? This is no judgment here. And I think in education, we've seen a shift in that way as well. Child-centered is absolutely right, but sometimes we go too far and we place children at the center of everything and we give them a voice that outweighs their ability and capacity to speak up because they need to experience the world first. However, word of warning... If that's what children are becoming, why are they becoming that? Children don't suddenly gather together and say, do you know what, I don't feel like we should be a very resilient generation. What do you reckon? Yeah, okay, let's do that. Or do they meet up together, all the children in the world, and say, let's not have much independence anymore, what do you think? No, they don't do that. They're becoming what is modelled to them or what is shown to them. We all have responsibility in this. This is, might be where the heckling starts, so do shout loud if you want to. Um, <laughs> it's illogical to think that a generation is raising up and it's their fault that they are placed at the centre of everything. It's what's gone before. It's how we, as older generations, have created the world into which they step. We all have to take responsibility. We might as well own up to that. And that's really, really important. And that's because... That's not just children at the centre. We have now created a society in the main where we are at the centre and we expect the world to orbit around us and we expect things to serve us. So if children are demonstrating a person-centred orbit, then perhaps that's because they're seeing that being modelled. And I'm the first to hold my hands up today and say that all too often I look like this. Sometimes I approach my choices and my day-to-day life with a sense of my own authority. I will determine what happens today. I will be the one that decides what's going on. No, that doesn't suit me. Thank you very much. I won't be attending because uh, I'm a bit too tired. No, thank you. I won't go on that rotor because um, I make a terrible cup of tea. I won't be doing that. You know, and actually sometimes in my life, in church, in work, I place uh, myself at the center And I expect everything to orbit around me. And if I'm really honest, sometimes I put God in that orbit as well. God whizzing around me. God serving me. I'll connect with him when I'm ready. I'll speak to God when I feel like it. Because it's my authority. Me, me, me. My life. So I sometimes think that my authority, my choices and my plans supersede that of anyone else around me and even those of God. I mentioned earlier that we live in a kind of post-authority world where everyone in power is questioned, where every decision is up for debate, and where information, or supposed information, has become power, whether or not it's true. Think of the impact of social media and how easy it can be to destroy someone's reputation, how easy it can be to question something that is generally an accepted truth, and yet suddenly we can cast doubt on it. We all have an outsized voice nowadays. We've got an outsized opinion of ourselves on what we have to share sometimes. Um, again, I'm talking about me here. So we have a notion that authority is to be earned by the person who wields it, that they are to prove themselves in order for me to endorse them in following their authority. Now, of course, some of that is a rejection of what's gone before. We have to to be honest, don't we? When, When governments have let people down, when religion has let people down, when individuals have let people down, it's absolutely right that people would become a little bit suspicious and a bit nervous about handing over authority. But I think what it's done is it's shredded that ability in us to access true authority, to recognize the true source of authority, which is Jesus. So I do wonder, as we gather here, is the church, the worldwide church, is it any different? Because sadly, the church of Jesus or the church in Jesus' name has done terrible things in history, has done terrible things. Individuals have used the name of Jesus and the authority that should come with that name, and they've made a mockery of it. And so it's made people mistrust. I don't know about your, your non-Christian friends, but one of the things that I most often will hear when I talk to them about Jesus is, well... If Jesus loves me, or if Jesus is real, then why has... Does anybody else ever get that? Yeah? That's a valid question, isn't it? I was once in a school, and a year three child said to me, religion is only good for one thing, starting wars. Now, obviously, that's an opinion that's come from somewhere else, isn't it? I don't know, maybe they're a very well-read child, but (laughs) for... You know, if that is the opinion that's coming through a year three child, that's because the voice of the parent is feeding that child. And the voice of the parent says the authority of the church is broken. The authority of the church has been damaged. So, do you know what? It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's heartbreaking because you want people to see beyond that and you want them to see the true heart of Jesus. You want them to be here with us and to see the true heart of us as his believers it's a real battle so the authority of religion, the authority of the church has been weakened by the actions of those in history and even within the church we see a growing culture of me at the centre you know sometimes I have heard you know, in other churches in other places as well I don't want to be there today, it doesn't really suit me today, I'm go- I think I'm just going to stay and, and think at home actually I'm not sure I can serve I'm really really busy Oh, that worship song, it doesn't really give me the feels like the other one does. I'm not sure we should sing that one again. Oh, it's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? We've all said it. We've all done it. We've all bought in occasionally to the consumer nature of church. Neglecting the authority of Jesus at the centre. The authority of Jesus. The one who walked on water, the one who fed thousands at a time, the one who broke the social norms, the one who got down on his hands and knees with the lepers who no one would even touch and society sent outside the city walls. Jesus who treated women with the dignity and respect that they deserved. Jesus who allowed himself the indignity of children climbing all over him and coming to see him. Jesus who rebuked the powers of hell and the sickness and illness that got hold of people. This is the man whose authority we should be following. This is the man who we should be following. We should be following that example. We should be living out that example. He says, doesn't he, in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then what does he do? He, I don't. I, I'd love to see how it went. It's kind of like a kind of back steps into heaven. Off he goes. But he says, he's handing that over to us and he's sending his helper to be with us. Holy Spirit arrives, the church begins and explodes across the globe. That authority did not go to heaven with Jesus and stay there. The authority was left on earth by the power of his spirit and by the actions of his church. So we are now called to act in the authority of Jesus. We are called to serve him. We are called, we are called to pray into the spiritual. We are called to face the opposition of the darkness of the spirit world. We're called to pray for the sick. We're called to serve. We're called to use the finances and resources that we have to bless others. We're called to face persecution. We are called to feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes in praise and worship as we give our lives to him. We are called to do things which don't fit the norm of the culture in which we find ourselves. But that's really where we have to make a choice. Do we want to sit inside the culture we live in, purely? Or are we willing to stick our head a little bit above the parapet because we stand in the authority of Jesus? So in the same way that as a teacher, I'm wanting to break that view of children being at the center of everything but actually they've got a really important powerful part to play because each child is special and deserves to have rights that then release them to serve other people i want to break that spirit that that is there but so too do we as christians need to break ourselves and the church free from being me centered and it's not too late it's not too late to make a change we see examples all the time i'm thinking even of leo my eldest son who um I've got grey hairs here in my beard, starting to poke through, and I've got a big receding hairline, and um, Leo is written all over that. Um, I love him dearly, but he can be quite difficult at times, and I've spoken to him about this. He knows I'm talking about him today. Um, But one thing that Sarah and I were challenging him on recently was, Leo, you've got to be more humble. When you're called out on things, Leo, he's he's that kind of kid that if... um, He'd never do this. I'll use it as an example. Imagine you walk in a room and he's picking a fish out of a fish tank and he's eating it like this. And you say, Leo, put down the fish. He'd be like, I don't have a fish. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. I don't have a fish. I didn't pick it out of the tank. I don't even know what. Oh, everybody hates me. And off he'd go. Fish in hand. And he'd be like, Leo, it's it's right in front of me. You can't deny this. I can see it in your eyes. You're lying. So we spoke to him about this at length. And said, (laughs) Leo, you need more humility. If you just admit, say, "Mm, wish I hadn't done that, put the fish down, and let's move on. Now, please note no fish were injured by Leo (laughs) at any point. At any point, this is one of those things where this is that waffle I'm talking about that let this bit go, this is not important. But what is important is that Leo has made a real effort over the last few weeks to show more humility. He's not perfect. He's never going to be perfect. I'm not perfect, and his lack of humility is absolutely genetically from this guy. Um, but he's trying really hard. I've caught him a couple of times. I said, "Leo, why are you doing that?" And he said, "I don't. I'm not." And then he stops and he says, "No, Daddy, you're right? I'm sorry. It was me. Can we move on?" Of course we can. So the reason I mention that is we've got things that we can be changing all the time. Maybe we can identify for ourselves today, as Christians, just one thing, like Leo's humility, just something that you know you need to start surrendering to the authority of Jesus. Just one area. And listen, if you can't find that area in yourself, ask someone who really knows you, because I bet you, I bet you they've got a list. I bet they do. If not, come see me. (laughs) or come and tell me mine Um, you know let's let's grab those people around us who we trust those people who we don't have to be a shiny super perfect Christian to and say to them do you know what I'm not sure I'm perfect I'm not sure God's at the centre of my orbit could you help me and then I mean if they start unrolling a scroll like Jesus did run a mile because they're just going to break your spirit in doing that but maybe just find those people to work because I think that image of orbiting, I'm just going to pop that back up there. I think the image of orbiting is really important. Is anyone an astrophysicist in the room? Perfect. So well, I can pretend to be an expert. Here we go. Um, so as far as I am aware, orbiting is due to gravity. Am I right? Perfect. And um, the only way to knock something off orbit would be through something that's quite significant. Quite catastrophic. I'm aware as well there's loads of research going on at the minute about an asteroid that may hit Earth. You know, Daily Mail headline Earth about to be wiped out in 3.9 million years. You know, and there's kind of all this hype, but scientists are working now. How would we stop that happening? And the way to stop it happening is to break the orbit of that thing and it's to create some force or some blast that would m- misdirect it. And that's what we need, isn't it? What we need is an event or we need an impact. Or we need something that's quite jarring to knock our orbit and realign it. So if we're just orbiting ourselves and we're wanting to orbit Jesus, we are going to need to do something about it. This can't be a, "Mm, I'm going to ponder that Sunday afternoon. This needs to be a bit of action to it. Okay, it needs something that will change. And that's why I'm saying find somebody you trust. Find somebody that loves you in jesus somebody who knows you and your spiritual journey and ask them get them engaged with you get them telling you the truth and get them working with you get that accountability that that mentoring relationship with somebody because i think that could be really key and if we were all engaging in that way as a church we might see some some really exciting changes happen and i'd ask yourselves a couple of questions because my answer to this first one is yes do you have an issue submitting to authority? Yes. My entire life I have done. I was that kid who stood up and argued with teachers. And now I'm a teacher. I am mortified by that. <laughs> I was that 15-year-old who knew everything about the whole entire world and would tell you. You know, It's a really nasty, horrible trait that I had growing up submitting to authority is something I've really struggled with submitting to authority is uncomfortable for me but it's something I've really worked on and continue to work on and I've got those people I've just talked about in my life a really dear friend of mine called Alex oh my goodness he was like nuclear bombs misdirecting my orbit really helping me to understand that I've got to change I've got to change that And sometimes that issue of submitting to authority applies especially in church. Sometimes we do really struggle to submit to the authority of our spiritual leaders. And I'm not just saying we should just do whatever they say, but there does need to be a certain aspect of submitting to the pastors and and faith leaders that you put in place because we're trusting them to guide us. And so we need to be getting on board with what they're saying, testing it, of course, asking questions always, but ultimately... Finding that capacity within yourself to submit is a real challenge, real challenge for me as well. And then finally, just my my final thought for today is just to bring you a scripture from James and I shared this in our prayer meeting before church this morning. Please do really think about what I've shared this morning because I've got some action points I need to go and work on james talks about for anyone who hears the word but does not carry it out is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and then it continues he walks away and forgets what he looks like we need to make sure that when we feel convicted or challenged we act on it act on it quickly come before god quickly and put something in place so if you have felt convicted at all this morning that perhaps like me you've put yourself at the center and everything's orbiting you What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? If, like me, you've got areas of your life that need work on, such as being willing to submit to the the appropriate authority, then what are you going to do about it? How are we going to make sure that that doesn't become a challenge for you moving forward? Something that stops you walking in the fullness of who God made you to be? Often friends at um, friends at school will ask me because we're we're a Catholic school, and so um, talking about talking about God's a regular occurrence. But they know that for me, my faith is, you know, real, really important, the centre of my life. And so they do ask me questions all the time, really difficult ones. And they'll say to me, "What is your church like?" Because I think they think we're all crazy. Um, I say, "Well, it's great, it's exciting, and you know, we've got." The, yeah, but what are the people like? I say, "Well, the people are amazing." If you come into our church, you've got people in all fields, all areas of work and employment. You've got people of all ages, right from the very youngest right to the very oldest, all of them, just working through that journey together. And they're like, really? I said, yes. And when church is working at its best, if you've got a problem, there might be somebody in your church with those skills who can step in and help you. We're built to be a community, aren't we? We're built to make sure that we all put our gifts to use, aren't we? Regardless of our age, regardless of any other limitations we feel we might have, we're called to bring it to the table and to do our bit. And I feel that we do that as a church. I just wonder, could we do it even more? I think so. I think so. So today could be for me, for you, for all of us, a moment to recalibrate our orbit, to make a fundamental shift, to place him at the centre. So um, would the band mind just coming up and just um, starting to play a little bit of music for us just for a moment, just as I pray about what we've talked about. Like I say, I am around at the end of the service. If you've got any thoughts or or challenges, please do come find me. Um, I'd love that conversation. So let's just pray and just give this to God. And you can sit, you can stand, you can dance, whatever you like. Only Father, I just thank you that you've been here this morning. And I thank you, Father, for giving me the opportunity to share what I believe you've put on my heart. And Lord God, I just want to pray now into that situation I've shared. About that need to refocus my own orbit. Father God, for anybody now today who sat here, who is feeling the same, feeling as though their orbit has been going perhaps around the wrong things or they've even placed themselves at the centre, I just pray, God, that you'd start a new work in us today, that you would bring a challenge that is so real and raw that it can only be of you. I thank you, God, that you speak in that scripture sternly to the spiritual world you speak with strength and with authority you cast out demons you reject the ploys of the enemy to control and diminish when Jesus is present his power cannot be held back and so when we put you Jesus at the center of our orbit there is no power that can sway us that part of the scripture God that the people are trying to hold Jesus for themselves and say stay here with us and he says no I've got to go I've got to go share this message I pray God that we would take that on board as well we're not called to huddle we're not called to close in we're called to go out to reach out to show to share to model and let us carry your authority with us and when we get it wrong God help us to be humble humble Help us to come before you and say, oh, I've got it really wrong. God, I'm so sorry, but I want to give it another try. Jesus, just be at the centre of our orbit today. Stand with us.